And we're live with Angular Error. Hello, I'm your host, Kent C. Dodds, and um, I'm happy to be here. So we are going to be talking about Angular UI Router, which is pretty much the de facto standard for routing in um, Angular applications. Um, and we have two experts here with us, um, Nate Silver and Chris Thane. Um, say hi, guys. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Nate Silver. And we'll have that. That's a compliment. <laughs> oh, is it? Is it not Silver? That's what it is in my notes. No, Nate Silver is the really smart, famous guy. Oh, I, I, should, I should have taken out all the trolls before we. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm never going to trust this Google Doc again. <laughs> okay, so anyway, we have um, Troll Welpley with us. Hello. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Um, and we have Amy Knight. Hello. And Olivia Combe. Hi, guys. And Patrick JS. Hey, guys. And uh, so before we get started, I just have a couple of quick announcements. So for uh, next week's show, we're going to be doing Angular Fundamentals with the Angular Air uh, panel. So it'll just be us panelists talking about the fundamentals of Angular um, like difference between a provider service factory value constant, all that really fun, awesome stuff that uh, we sometimes take for granted. Um, and uh, don't forget to ask us questions on Twitter with the hashtag NGAirQuestion. You can ask those live, and at the end of the show, we will answer them. Um, and then follow us on Twitter and Google Plus to keep up with the latest and greatest. So I'm going to turn the time over to uh, Nate and Chris to go ahead and introduce themselves a little bit before we get into our main stuff. So why don't we have you go first, Nate? Oh, boy. All right. So um, my name is Nate Abley, and I've been working on UI Router pretty much since the beginning. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't the original author, but I took over pretty much when he left, and um, Chris and I have been hacking on it ever since. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, what am I supposed to, like... Should I like tell you what my hobbies are? Sure. <laughs> when, like, where do you work? What, what, like, what do you, um, what do, you do? Yeah. Uh, I I usually work either right here where we are now or on my couch. Um, I have a, a consulting firm with um, some friends around the world, and we take um, really just all kinds of different um, projects and um, basically use all the money to be a lab for like fun and interesting stuff and contributing to open source. So uh, yeah. Love hey, Chris, it. you go now. All right. Actually, that's the first time I think I've ever heard you say your last name out loud, and that's not how I thought it was in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Chris Thielen. It's okay. Um, Everybody gets it wrong. Yeah. I uh, started with the UI uh, Router project about a year and a half ago. I started hacking on a um, on a add-on to UI Router. It's called UI Router Extras, and about it. Six months after that, they uh, invited me onto the team, so I've been on the UI Router team for about a year now. Um, I work for a company called Virtuel in St. Paul, Minnesota, and they do 24 by 7 online healthcare. Um, so you can call them up and do an online interview, and they'll give you a treatment plan. Great. Thank you uh, for your quick intros, um, and thank you for your contributions to the world and to open source. So let's go ahead and talk about those contributions here with uh, UI Router. So uh, there are people who are watching who may not be familiar with UI Router and why um, it's so great. 
So could uh, one of you give us, maybe Nate, could you give us a, an intro to what UI Router is and why we, sh we love it so much? Sure. So UI Router is a state machine that allows you to model um, your user interface and bind it to um, like uh, URL templates like routes. Um, and that's kind of it in a nutshell. And um, I don't know, should we start talking about like how it differs from the, the core router in Angular? Yeah, um, you made it sound so easy. <laughs> I, I try. I do try. Um, yeah, I mean, it's in concept, it's really simple, but um, that that sort of model um, and the fact that a state machine is at the core of it, which I know you want to get into later on, um, is is like a really rich model to do like really sophisticated things. Um, and that, in my mind, is what sets it apart from from the core router in in one in Angular one X and two X. Um, but initially, uh, we kind of set about to do it because um, ng-route obviously was, you know, lacking in some pretty significant ways. Like, you couldn't do any, you know, hierarchical routing or views, and, um, you know, it was generally just not very expressive. Uh, so we, you know, tried to do something a little bit better. And um, I guess people liked it. Since you bring up state, the state machine, can you get into a little bit of details of like what is a state machine, like specifically, and how it's used in Angular? Sure. Yeah. Well, Chris, did you have anything to add to what I just said? Because I'm sure I'm like forgetting a ton of stuff. Yeah. Well, like one of the things that you you touched on is that UI Router allows uh, nested views, and I think that's really a, a key uh, feature of UI Router, and not just that we can nest views, um, but that the states that are controlling those views are also nested and so you can you can build your application um, as a tree of states of nested states and the deepest portions of your application can inherit a bunch of behaviors and uh, business logic from the from their parent states and I think that's one of the things that really sets UI router apart Awesome. Yeah, I uh, I definitely use UI Router. I recommend uh, people use UI Router over ng route because it can do everything ng route can and then some. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. You are my new best friend. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah. So so Jeff, um, you asked me to talk about a little bit about state machines. Um, a state machine is basically a way to describe like different states that a system can be in. So a really simple example is like a light switch that has you know an on state and an off state, or like a car that has you know um, park, drive, reverse, neutral, and you know different gears. Um, so that's kind of like the static description of the system. Um, and then you can, yeah, chessboard probably also a good one. Um, thank you, Patrick. Uh, and then once you have kind of the the all possible states that the system can be in described. Um, you can describe transitions, which basically says what happens when you know you move from one to the other. Now, in in like a formal finite state machine, um, you have to describe all those transitions up front. Um, so it's like you know shift up means going from you know uh, neutral to you know first gear or first gear to second gear and stuff like that. Um, that's obviously not super useful in um, when you're modeling a UI where people can kind of move around freely. Um, and this is actually one of the things that we kind of missed the boat on the first time around that we've um, now addressed in UI Router 1.0 
is kind of like surfacing those transitions as like a first class thing. Um, because currently, like, okay, you have all your states and then, you know, on transitions between certain groups of states, you'll like want something specific to happen. Um, right now, people will use like these global events um, for triggering, you know, state change start or state change end. Um, and kind of like using that as a switchboard for, you know, global system logic. Um, and so in 1.0 now we have a system where you can say, okay, for this group of states and this group of states, any transition from one set to the other set, we want this specific thing to happen. Um, so it's a really, really sophisticated way of not only describing an application, but describing what happens as the user moves through it. Yeah, and in addition to that, um when you're describing your application via these uh, hierarchical states, uh, one of the things that you can do is you can de declaratively state um, the kind of data that you that each element of your application requires, um, and those are the, the resolves essentially. And using those resolves, you can um, you can inject that data into your views um, in a in a manner that doesn't tie your view necessarily directly to the mechanism for retrieval or even the mechanism for injection. Um, in addition to that, because of our hierarchical capabilities in the states, um, a substate can also inject data that's declared on a like a parent state, for instance. Um, and that that ability allows you to describe your application in a way um, that helps improve code quality and reuse. Yeah, I totally recommend that anybody watching this who uses the router, or who doesn't use the router, first use the router, and then make sure that you're using resolves. It cleans up your code so much. So, yeah, highly recommend it. So, yeah. actually, one thing that I, I guess I'll, I'll just bring up is uh, um, you mentioned how in Angular, or in the 1.0 version, it's easier to... Um, like have some action performed with a, a group as the user navigates to a, a like a group of routes or something, right. um, and I can tell you from my experience, um, like I'm looking forward to seeing what that's like because um, using the uh, events can be a little bit hairy and um, like for example setting up um, authentication so you have this half of your app is authenticated this half is not um, that can be a real pain in the rear when you're trying to decide like how to uh, route the user and like when when you're developing it if you haven't gotten it set up like your browser can go crazy because it's like oh I want you to go here now you're gonna go here now you're gonna go here and you get into this loop of, of routing that's just like it's total insanity and, and craziness it can be a real um, a real pain uh, yeah. sometimes. I completely agree and that's you know that's definitely uh, the, one of the use cases that we we're accounting for when we redesigned UI router in 1.0 um, with the new transition hooks. Um, in the past, what people would do is they would either hook into the state change events, as Nate mentioned, or they would hook into things like an on-enter callback or perhaps even a resolve in trying to you know, manage things like locking down authenticated trees of an application. Um, it causes difficulties for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is that in the state change events, you don't actually have access to most of your data. You have access to the state parameters, which are typically parsed out of the URL. That would be like a, 
you know, let's say if you're editing books, that would be a book ID in the editor. You might have some logic in your app that says if they're trying to edit a book, well, they need to be authenticated and have a certain role. Um, one of the problems is that uh, you may need to fetch that authentication information on the fly, and that's really difficult to do in the existing UI router um, using the state change events. You can do it with like a resolve, perhaps, um, but then you don't have access to some of the things that you might have access to in the state change event, such as where did I come from, which state did I come from, which state did I go to. So in 1.0, part of our uh, refactoring is that we have kind of um, consolidated those two concepts into a single concept, um, and that's a transition hook. And in the transition hook, you have access to the entire lifecycle of the transition, so you can hook into it at the same point that you would have in the past using the events, um, but you also have access to all the resolved data, and you have um, a fully-fledged API for, for doing redirects if that's what you need to do. So you could, for instance, redirect to a login state. Okay, yeah. and, and that can be asynchronous as well. So I could go check, like, say I have the user token on the client, and I say, I need to validate that this token is still valid. I can exactly. asynchronously do that. Okay, yep. and, and so can. what does the user see at that time? Like, do I have to say, this is what the user sees during the time that I'm doing this async thing, or do they, like, they just stay where they were before, or? That would so be, we're, um, go ahead, Nick. Okay, I was I was gonna say um, so the the one really cool thing that I'm familiar with in the Ember router is that they have this concept of called pivot states, um, and that's something that we're definitely interested in providing, like as a way of yeah presenting the user something that you know they can look at while this transition is happening, and I mean you can you can already kind of simulate that with like just defining an intermediate state or you know what have you. Um, we don't we don't really like. We don't prevent you from doing that, but we don't provide a specific way to do that. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely something that we're looking into. And it's one thing that you can you can implement even in, in the current system. Um, you could implement like let's say a spinner or a loading bar or something to that effect. Um, you can do that currently with the state change events. Essentially, when the state change starts, you would turn on a spinner, um, and let's say theoretically. The current version, not the 1.0, would allow you to do an asynchronous lookup. You know, when that's all done, when the state change is succeeded or failed, then you could turn off that spinner. Um, in in the new API, you can still do that. Uh, you just don't use events, so you can have some sort of a global. Hey, the state is transitioning. We're we're not there yet. We're, we're fetching data, all that kind of stuff, and you can display something to the end user. Um, yeah, I mean, once, it could be as simple as like just. Oh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. I was going to say that once we get past the 1.0 version, uh, one of the things that Nate and I have been discussing is um, progressive rendering of nested views. So like we, we would like to be able to um, turn on a view when the state is entered asynchronously, even if the entire transition to the, to the deepest state in the state tree has not yet been completed. So that would be like um, I have... Um, some deeply nested resolve statement. And so I load everything except for that deeply nested state um, until like that gets, uh, that resolve finishes. And so you kind of compile pieces. Is that what you mean? That's, yeah. that's, okay. that's pretty close to what I mean. Um, Nate, were you going to make a comment on uh, something else before we move on? 
Oh, yeah, I, I think I was just going to say, like, um, in the new hook system, you know, you can return promises that block on, you know, waiting for those authentication tokens and things like that. Um, right. But, yeah, we've been talking about, so in, in the core, um, Chris completely tore out and, and rewrote the whole resolve system um, such that we can have different resolve policies, um, and that allows us to do the, that kind of progressive rendering. And, and one thing that I'm even working towards is um, being able to show templates before, like, resolves for a controller have even finished loading. So like um, if you're on Facebook on a really slow connection like it'll pop up that empty template for a story um, like immediately and then as the data is loading in it'll fill in the template. So it really gives the user like this really fluid experience of okay the structure is already there and things are just kind of like fading in as the data is available. Oh, that yeah. sounds really cool. Um, We've been talking quite a bit about um, nested state trees, and I wanted to give maybe a, a more concrete example of what a nested state tree might be. Um, let's say you have an application that is um, some sort of a, um, an editor for a company directory or something that you can drill down through um, um, like organizations in a company, maybe manager, um, state and maybe a list of employees and then drill down into an employee. Um, that would be a series of nested states, potentially. The top level state might be something like company. Um, a state below that might be something like company.organization. Um, below that might be company.organization.manager and then dot employees and then dot employees. So you're kind of drilling down into a hierarchical um, structure you've modeled your application against this hierarchical structure and you can transition to any point in that in that hierarchy using like a transition command. So you transition to um, company that organization A dot uh, manager one two three dot employee list for instance that might be your state. At each level um, you can set up a resolve that would load the data necessary to show that state in your application and um, UI Router is going to handle uh, loading of all the data and passing it down into each nested substate that, that requires it. Um, and like Nate was saying, uh, it's all asynchronous now. We have these resolve policies. So if, if, you, have a, um, if you have a piece of data declared on a top-level state, what it's going to do is it's going to wait until something actually injects that data before it fetches that resolve. And that's called just-in-time resolve policy. Uh, we also have a lazy one that's, that's used when uh, a state is being entered. So we would wait until we get down to, let's say, the employer, uh, the, the manager state, before we fetch the, the resolve data that the manager state requires even if we're coming all the way from the root application down to this very deeply nested state. And finally, we have one that's called eager, and eager happens at the beginning of the state transition. So that's what the current UI router resolves are, essentially an eager policy resolve. So what that means is if, if you ask the state machine to navigate from some unrelated state all the way down to this deeply nested um, employee state, it's going to fetch all the data that all of those nested substates require before it even starts that transition. So that's, that's what we're calling an eager resolve. So by combining these resolve policies and, and utilizing them in your application, you can declare like the behavior that you would like 
for a specific transition, um, one thing that you could do is you could put your off your off resolve, for instance, as a um, eager resolve, and then it's going to validate that your off is successful before it even starts the transition. It's going to do the asynchronous operations, check the result of that, say, hey, are they authorized? If so, then it's going to begin the rest of the um, transition. If you have things like data set at lazy at each of the, the states in your application, like uh, eager policy, uh, excuse me, like um, at the employee or employee uh, or manager level, then it's going to fetch those right before it enters that state. So with these policies, we can kind of customize the data loading behavior for each use case that you're trying to implement. Yeah, That's awesome. I, I mean, we've, we've really spent a lot of time overall just, you know, thinking about, um, you know, the user experience that people are going to have when they use UI router app applications and the ability for the developer to really tune, um, you know, that user experience in a really specific way. And, you know, that and templates are just a couple of examples. Cool. So um, with these different policies, what's, uh, I'm curious, two questions. The, what does the API look like? Um, how's the API changing for me to declare my uh, resolve uh, policy? And what's the default? Mm -hmm. um, um, we're, we're still working out. So, <laughs> well, Chris, um, you, you can probably address this, but um, you'll probably, uh, you know, stick the policy somewhere in the resolve block. Resolves basically look the same as they do in, in the current UI router. Um, and, yeah, so you, you'll just as assign the policy somewhere in the block. Yeah, so currently we've got the, the default resolve policy set to just in time, which means all of your resolves are now extremely, extremely lazy. They don't actually even um, fetch until they're injected somewhere. So, for instance, if you had an off resolve, and you don't inject it anywhere, it's never going to get validated. So um, I think we might change that default policy to lazy because I think that's going to ha have the less surprise for our existing users. Um, but we're definitely going to turn the defaults away from either where it is in, in current UI router. Um, as far as for the way that you configure the resolve policies on a resolve, right now we have a separate... Um, as a peer to the resolve declaration in a state object, we also have a resolve policy uh, that can be either a string or an object. If it's an object, it references the, the named resolves that are in the current state. If it's a string, it sets the resolve policy for all the resolves in that state. So um, which one would you use to lazy load uh, code with uh, say lazy load, for example? If you wanted to do that, you would definitely use an eager resolve because you want that to happen before the state enters. Okay. Now, so you actually, actually um, I'll go ahead. Kevin. Go ahead, Chris. Okay. <laughs> I'll go ahead. So, <laughs> um, I just this is kind of related. So, the uh, um, I I was just kind of as a, a tip, fellow library author. So, what one thing in Angular formally. Um, we have this concept of validators, and it's an object where the key is the name of the validator, the value is the, the validator itself. Um, but when implementing um, messages, um, you can have like some generic messages, but then you can have a specific message for that validator, like an error message. Um, and so um, I, I kind of toyed with the idea of having a separate object that mapped um, to the same validator. 
but I decided to go with, with something a little different. So now, if you um, if you want, you can do the the same thing where the key is the the name of the um, of the validator, and then the value is a function or or an expression of some kind. Um, but if you want to add a message, then uh, the value is no longer a function, but now it's an object that has an expression property, and that's where the function goes, and a message property, and that's where the message goes. And so you have your expression uh, or your validator function and your message right next to each other. It's very easy. Like, it's easy to look at that code and understand without having to reference somewhere else. And then it also makes uh, for uh, easier reusability, so you can uh, kind of compose uh, validators together. So maybe something like that uh, would be helpful for UI router uh, when yeah. finding your policies. That's um, that's kind of the direction that I was heading in. Like, I mean, we really just kind of threw out this API like at last week or something. I think like was the first time we even surfaced it in like an end user accessible thing. Um, yeah, I want to go a little bit more in that direction also, just for the sake of like less repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's still we're still evolving it. Yeah, we're we're hoping to release an alpha version very shortly. Um, I'm going to make sure that uh, 1.0 works on at my day jobs app, and uh, mm-hmm. after that, I'd like to get the alpha release out there, get the community to look at it, and give us some feedback, tell us where it breaks their apps, that kind of stuff, and then uh, we'll we'll get the API completely solid. We'll release some one or two betas, and then we'll release the final 1.0. Can you tell that Chris is the responsible one? <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> you look responsible too, Nate. <laughs> Don't let looks deceive you. <laughs> so yeah, awesome. that's that's our plan for getting that out the door. Um, any other questions? A release uh, date. I'll, I'll have... turn this over to the panelists now. Alrighty. <laughs> Uh, okay, so one question that I had, um, other than the fact that the Angular team is using TypeScript, is there, what was kind of your decision into using that? It's like popular subject here, so. Um, sure, I mean, it was kind of like, I, I'm, I think Chris and I each arrived at, at it kind of independently, maybe, so I'll talk about the things that I liked, and Chris, you can talk about things that you liked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just can't write ES5 anymore. I just can't do it. Like I just, my brain has switched over to ES6. So in terms of that, like we were going to use something to transpile because like I just can't write ES5 anymore. It's just that's that part of my life is over. Um, and I also wanted, um, I was kind of really drawn to the idea of you know um, doing something that that is strongly typed and, you know, migrating the code base over to take advantage more of classes and stuff. So it was either going to be, you know, something like TypeScript or something like Flow. And I I think we just decided to go with TypeScript because, like, the Angular team was already doing it, and that's seemed to be the direction that everybody um, in the community was kind of moving in as a result. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like either or. Um, I think... Like, my ideal scenario would be if TypeScript kind of threw away their infrastructure and rebuilt on top of Babel, because, like, my experience with Babel in terms of, like, build tooling has definitely been better. But, really, they're not that different. Um, I don't know. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, well, um, I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that we wanted to leave ES5 in the dust, get up to at least ES6, and it was like, do we want to do yep. ES6 
or do we want to do TypeScript? I think that was our conversation at the time. And I started toying with, with TypeScript, and I come from a Java background, so I have, um, I have an affinity for strongly typed code. Um, I really like the ability to refactor and be uh, confident about my refactors. Um, so I started adding in some typing annotations, and I converted our build tooling to TypeScript, and, and I liked what I saw. And so that's kind of, we kind of bit the bullet, and uh, we've converted most of the code base at this point. Yeah. Um, that, at that point, um, like, IntelliSense, like, little pop-ups started showing up in Sublime, and I'm like, this is amazing. I haven't seen this in years. <laughs> and that's, like, yeah, I was, I was totally sold at that point. Okay, so my next question, I think I read in one of your GitHub threads that long-term, you kind of envision UI router not being tied to Angular, so it would work with Angular 1, Angular 2, and then maybe even React. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? That's a lie. You read that nowhere. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I don't remember really talking about it publicly, but, um, yeah, Chris and I were just kind of chatting one time, and we were like, you know, the core of this thing is, um, you know, just a really good generic, um, you know, state machine for managing UIs, and that's not really specific to any framework. <laughs> and we kind of had the idea that, well, you know, um, the whole thing about Angular 2 is supposed to be decoupled, you know, generic JavaScript libraries. So we were like, well, you know, we could do that, and that would be an easy way to support Angular 1 and 2 and maybe some other stuff. Um, I know other people in the Angular and, like, high-level JavaScript community have pinged me about, like, um, you know, frustrations with the React Router and, you know, things that they don't like about that. And I was like, well, we were thinking about this thing, and they're like, yeah, you totally should. So it just kind of grew from there. Yeah, And I that's... Yeah, go ahead, Chris. I think um, at, our, at the core of that discussion, we, we talked about what pieces are we actually tied to Angular 1 for. And there's not really that many things that um, right. we specifically use that are Angular technologies. We use, like, location service, and we use, um, we use the injector. Um, and so what we've started to do is we've started to divorce ourselves from the injector, which is going to be a feat. Um, the, uh, the other thing, pretty big component that we're going to have to consider is how we do our rendering of views, um, because that's definitely tied to existing controller infrastructure and um, just the way that Angular handles DOM. Um, but we, we're definitely targeting NG2 as uh, one of our platforms. In order to do that, we're going to have to divorce ourselves from all of the Angular 1 services. Um, once we've done that, I think we'll have a pretty portable piece of code that the view the view system can be pluggable. Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, if you want to talk with Jason Debris about um, pulling out Angular out of your project, we had him on the show a while ago. He is the author of uh, what once was Angular Data and now is called JS Data. And <laughs> basically, he has like a hundred line file that um, just adds. Uh, as a plugin uh, for JS data that interacts with Angular, and it's it's awesome. I use it and I love it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a fantastic thing to do. I've been meaning to see if I can figure out a way to do that with Angular Formly, but Forms Angular Formly, like I don't know how I could pull Angular out of that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but, that's pretty tough. Yeah. So, but that's cool. I think that's good that you're doing that. So if you're evolving this way, do you have any ideas? Um, on how UI router will evolve after um, the component router is out? 
Um, did you look at the functionalities and decided to pick some things because it was cool? <laughs> Um, so the the audio was a little bit scratchy, but it sounded like you're talking about like um, you know what's our plan post 1.0 and um, if we've drawn any inspiration from the component router. Is that is that about right? Yes. Yes, it was that. All right. Um, I don't know. Have we drawn inspiration from a component router? Other other than everybody saying you guys need to support components in addition to controllers, um, I don't think so. I mean. I remember looking at some of the internals and kind of the stuff they were doing with their like transition pipeline, um, and I think we were already kind of heading in that same direction. Um, so like I don't know how long how long ago was it, Chris, um, when I started hacking on the new code base? Like a year or something? Oh, it's been more. It's been a year and a half, two years. Jeez, <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I started working on UI Router, what is now UI Router 1.0, about a year and a half ago. And my two main goals were like to decouple the view system from the state machine. So essentially you could have like a way to manage views across an application that was just like a service, like a view service that's you could just use as an independent consumer. Um, and that is also gonna play um, really heavily into our you know plans for the future. Um, and then the other part was um, having uh, this pipeline of operations um, where that would allow the process of doing a transition to be fully atomic. Um, a lot of the problems with um, the current router's design is that it uses a lot of globals and um, things happen, operations happen in kind of a destructive way um, that just makes architectural things uh, really difficult and painful for us. Um, and you know anybody who's using UI router. So those are the kind of the two problems that we've set out to solve. Um, I think we have, and um, it seems like some of the stuff that Component Router is doing with this pipeline is, um, uh, you know, they arrived at a similar place. So that's kind of like it's kind of a relief that like smart people are, you know, doing similar things. Um, I don't think we specifically drew any inspiration from them, at least not that I recall. Um, I mean, initially we were kind of like working with the core team on their, you know, the design document for the new router pretty early on, um, and then kind of the the big point that we differed on was um, using a state machine. That's kind of like central for us for you know reasons that we've described, and other reasons that I can go on and on at length about. Um, but they felt that like <laughs> it was it was a little too complex for like you know the general Angular population. So. That's kind of how they ended up going in that direction. So there's this difference in philosophy, right? <clears throat> Where the UI router based on states and the component router based off essentially URLs, right? Everything is URL driven. Right. So is there anything that, uh, or what can you think of that uh, can, is difficult to accomplish using the component router str uh, approach that is, you know, easier, more straightforward to accomplish uh, with the state um, machine approach. Sure. Um, I'm going to try really hard not to sound like I'm criticizing anybody because, I mean, I, th I think the component router has a lot of really cool things going for it. Um, and it's not that I think that, like, um, you know, we're better or whatever. It's just I'm, I, I'm partial to our approach, you know, and Chris is too. I'm speaking for you, Chris. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Okay, like, um, 
So streams, streams and Angular 2 are, are like, you know, being presented as kind of a big deal, right? Because they're like this ideal primitive for dealing with a particular problem domain of like, you know, asynchronous data and, you know, events, arrays, and, you know, promises, like all kind of have, can be modeled in this way that provides certain guarantees and allows you to think about it at a higher level of, of abstraction. So it's like this ideal primitive that you can build other things on. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, so we feel essentially that like a hierarchical state machine with these really expressive transitions is kind of like that same ideal primitive for modeling um, sophisticated UIs. And it's kind of like, um, so I, I'm. This is this is um, in some ways kind of embarrassing for me being on. But I used to do a lot of PHP. I still do a lot of PHP. Um, so I was I was the lead developer of Cake PHP for a while. If anybody's ever heard of that. Um, and we did this thing called has and belongs to many, or like, you know, has many through or whatever if you do Rails. And that was always one of the, like, most painful parts of the framework to, like, maintain and do stuff with because really that, like, has and belongs to many relationship, you're burying this um, second relationship kind of in the configuration between one relationship. So it's really there's this other idea that you kind of have to, like, you know, extract out and bring to the surface so that you can reason about it effectively. And um, that's kind of what um, I kind of feel the same way about trying to tie, um, you know, template and controller and resolve configurations directly to URLs. Um, like, you know, you most people have very, you know, sophisticated, um, complicated UIs that have a lot of different states, and not only not all of them map to URLs. Um, and some people write, you know, um, apps with no URLs at all. So it's like states give you this very, you know, um, not only an expressive thing because you can describe every possible thing that the UI can do, um, and it's also it you're able to do that in a very declarative way. Um, and then you know how are you going to map every single one of those to URLs? It just doesn't really make sense. Um, and I mean, to me, it's it's like, I guess templating is maybe another example. Like, the point of how Angular templates work is, like, you can talk, um, you know, you can talk up to your application's design, not, like, down to the DOM. Um, you know, it acts as that buffer, that bridge. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm hearing is that the two of the biggest things that speak to me is, is the declarative, like that you can, uh, in a declarative way, specify something that has, you know, uh, many different effects, you know, potentially, that if you tried to do it in an imperative way, would require more code, be, you know, maybe more difficult, that type of thing. Um, but then also there, there are limitations with, when you're depending on the URLs, like, there's limitations on the URL. I mean, it's a one-dimensional thing, right? Like, yep. so I, how can you effectively serialize all these different combinations of states in a one-dimensional thing. The only thing I would say on that is that um, Matthias and, and uh, Brian are kind of working on some ways uh, for that specific problem. I mean, it, it's, it's a tough problem, and, and I think uh, some of the stuff that they're doing will help with that, but it is uh, for sure a challenge on the kind of uh, URL component uh, router side of things. Yeah, definitely. So we're... Um, coming short on time already. This has been so much fun. Um, so um, I'm going to just say, um, panelists, if you have a couple of questions that you want to make sure that you ask, ask them now, and then we'll go to uh, questions again 
anybody watching uh, watching live um, can ask a question using the hashtag NGAirQuestion on Twitter, and we will answer those in a minute. So, uh, panelists, do you have any other questions that you wanted to ask? Yeah, so, yeah, Nate, you mentioned streams. Um, are you referring to RX uh, observables or just streams in general? Um, the concept of streams in general, but yeah, like RX would be kind of like, I mean, that's the implementation that I use or have started to use. So, so are you suggesting that um, UI router in the future may include RxJS? Uh, um, I, I mean, I was just using that as an analogy, but I certainly could see a future where um, things are, we move in a more stream-oriented way. And, it, and it's like everything in the 1.0 architecture is based on promises now, so you can already, like, wrap it in that um, yeah. easily. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the future holds. Maybe. Yeah, because, like, um, I actually had one problem with UI router a long time ago where um, had something inside of Resolve, and that kind of didn't resolve, and then it's kind of hanging. And something like with uh, observables, you're able to, to cancel it. Like, that would be, like, one benefit of canceling and then being able to, like, say, do this or, or something else. Like, that's... Um, like one very small like use case that I, I see. Yeah, um, we don't we don't have anything like that currently. Although um, actually, one thing we didn't even get to talk to talk about is in this whole transition hook system, like all those like billion parameters in all of the state events have gone away completely. We now have like a first class transition object that encapsulates all of your stuff. So yeah, we could definitely expose some kind of like. API on that object that allows you to manipulate your resolves at some level to avoid stuff like that. Sweet. Yeah, one thing that we do allow is if you if you start another transition, um, the existing transition that's in process is canceled. Um, it doesn't actually, it can't cancel the promise, the resolve that you initiated, but it can cancel the transition. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's that's some of the like that's one of the biggest benefit of like using RX as opposed to like promises to that. Um, you don't have to like create another mechanism to cancel the promise. Um, sure. Yeah. So like, um, what about uh, introducing like more more syntax? Like, um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but someone released uh, ng2 now, which allows someone to write kind of like um, Angular 2 style code in um, for Angular 1, and someone created an at state uh, decorator that pretty much. Um, is the UI router's uh, API but as a decorator. Do you, th do you see you guys, like, implementing your own um, decorator and supporting that kind of syntax going forward to, like, Angular 2? I just saw that. Didn't we see that somewhere, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if it's the same guy, but I, I definitely found a link to a state decorator. Um, that's something that I would be open to or at least having perhaps a recipe that we publish. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of recipes published for 1.0, stuff like this is how you can do auth, this is how you can do declarative redirects. Maybe one of those things is this is how you can create a, a, a decorator for declaring states. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing we could do is, like, um, internally states are now represented by their own class. So we could just say, oh, yeah, we'll just export this class. You can import it and extend it. So that's maybe another possibility where you wouldn't even need a decorator. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's we're we're certainly open to all kinds of stuff like that. Um, it's just a matter of what makes sense. 
Yeah, so like, um, one of the, the biggest benefits of having like uh, the decorator is that you're able to crawl your, your components. So this is like something like Wrangler 2, um, where you're able to, because you declare your dependencies inside of the annotation, you're able to um, look at that component, and then you're able to see that's dependencies. So you basically just walk down a tree, and because you're, you're doing that, you're able to get, like say, all the resolves, and then make uh, a one big like batch call initially, and then that would also like help with um, like server rendering as well. Um, like this, is, this is a technique that we're, we're doing with the, the Palcord integration um, that we found out that it's actually really nice. Basically, it's like uh, first-class components. Um, that's what people are calling it. Oh, huh. okay. Yeah, I mean, let's let's take it offline. I would love to hear from you guys about that and like if there's if there are you know sort of unique advantages to taking that approach. Um, I mean, I'm totally open to it. Cool. Great. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and cut us off um, unless there is something uh, that the pan one of the panelists just really needs to ask or if our guests really want to talk about something. I think I'll, I'll bring up one thing, uh, maybe in response to Olivier, is that the uh, one of the things that we would like post 1.0 to maybe have some more first-class support for is um, dynamically manipulating the state tree. So adding, removing states on the fly, and uh, integrating with things like OC lazy load. Cool. Yeah, that that's actually going to be fair, fairly straightforward to implement. I'm just an API Nazi, so I haven't. I haven't come up with anything that I like love for, for doing that. Yeah, this would definitely be super useful. Yeah, totally. Sweet. Um, if you're an API Nazi, you ought to check out API Check. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. And the <laughs> lights go out again. Oh my gosh. Hold on well, a second. Send me a link. Okay, sorry about that. Man, <laughs> I need to talk with facilities for a second. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's double check these questions on Twitter. Um, our viewers are silent. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and get into our picks and tips. Um, and so I'm going to go from the left to the right on who I see um, in my Hangout. And so that means Amy is our first. OK, so my pick again this week is going to be uh, the Angular Remote Comp. And you can use Angular Air code to get 20% off. So you should do that. You can listen to the host talk. Um, and then my second, this is a tip. So I'm still somewhat new to programming. And I have decided to kind of start digging into like some actual RFCs. And so that's my tip for someone who's a beginner. Um, if you want to actually check the best documentation, actually dig in and read the RFCs, they're not that bad. So that's my tip. Thank you, Amy. Uh, OK, Chris, what do you have for us? Yeah, I've got, uh, so as we've been starting to implement TypeScript uh, throughout UI Router, a couple things that I found really useful. Uh, the first one would be Microsoft's TypeScript Playground. And that's just a on-the-fly transpiler that you can um, write TypeScript code into and see what the generated ES5 output is, as well as run it in your browser. Um, the second thing is uh, there's this uh, NPM module called TSLint. 
and TSLint is a linter, obviously, for TypeScript. And uh, WebStorm EAP has some really good support for TSLint. And it will show you a bunch of the lint rules right in the browser. Well, and I think they're going to be um, making a new one of those soon, too. So that is awesome. Um, OK, cool. So uh, Jeff, you're next. Uh, I'll let Patrick go first. <laughs> Circumventing my authority? <laughs> uh, uh, sure, let, we'll go ahead, and, and I'll skip ahead to Patrick, and then we'll go back to you, Jeff. Cool. So um, my, my tip is the Angular 2 survey results. So Jeff and I, we wrote an article on, um, we, we created a survey asking de uh, developers, like, what do they like? Um, like, what kind of router do they prefer? Uh, surprise, surprise, they prefer UI router. Um, uh, I think, yeah, so like, you should definitely look at the, the results. Uh, it's on the Angular blog um, or on, on Hacker News. You can just look on the front page. And my, my tip is to ask questions. So uh, just make sure you ask a lot of questions. Uh, don't be like uh, intimidated. Just you know, ask anyone. Like if you're just ask your friends, you know, like, why does this not work or whatever or I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Great. All right, Jeff. Yeah. So I didn't want to step on Patrick's because I wanted to add add to it. So uh, you know, in doing the blog post, we uh, were lucky enough to have Brad let us post to the Angular blog, and it made me appreciate, because they use Blogger there, um, it made me appreciate kind of the simplicity and beauty of Medium.com. So, like, my plug is for uh, Medium. Like, I, I love Medium kind of even more. It's just, like, such a simple, awesome um, editor for uh, authoring kind of blog posts. And then the other thing is uh, that uh, we just, we've been coming out with, at GetHuman with a number of kind of new sites uh, recently and apps. And uh, we came out with one for um, suggestions that you might have for other companies. So if you have any ideas for other companies, you can go to ideas.gethuman.com. And we're going to have like a whole system of uh, trying to get people to kind of vote things up and then try to bring them to the companies to actually get some of your suggestions implemented. So you check that out at ideas.gethuman.com. All right, I've got two ideas for GitHub. One, allow me to do fast-forward merges so that my Git history isn't junk. And then two, allow me to upvote issues so that I don't have a bunch of plus ones all over my, Git, uh, my GitHub comments on issues. Can you There's a really good um, button for that. It's the one with the lock icon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, that's great. Okay, uh, Nate, why don't you go ahead next? So, so that's one of my tips, I guess. I don't know. Um, no, all right, so uh, first two tips real quick. Um, don't do destructive operations and enter exit hooks uh, for UI router because that destroys the, like, clean atomicness of your transition. Um, also, I've been um, refactoring a lot of code and, and designing a lot of code um, with what are called value objects, which are just, like, simple little classes that... Um, have a little bit of behavior and don't mix any other classes in, um, but they're they're immutable using object.freeze, which is an ES6 thing. Um, so it's it's like a really simple way of, of you know designing things in sort of an immutable functional way. And um, on that note, um, I have to plug Ramda.js. Um, everybody's heard of um, you know Lodash and underscore, and whereas those libraries claim to be um, for functional programming, 
Ramda programming. Um, so yeah, it's ramdajs.com, and um, I posted the link. Um, also, um, I posted the link to um, my Epic Instrumentals Spotify work playlist. So help me add more awesome, uh, awesome songs. And um, I also posted the the link um, to. Uh, a thread on Hacker News, um, actually on the same post as, as the survey, um, where I just kind of am casually soliciting feedback on UI router versus component router thoughts. And then um, the last one is, is kind of a joke one. Uh, there's a game called Cube, Cube Composer, which is actually isomorphic JavaScript. And you'll see why when you click the link. Cool. Awesome. Um, post one to the object.freeze, and if you are frozen back in ES5 land, you poor soul. You actually can use object.freeze. It's supported by IE9. Hooray! So, um, well, I was going to say plus one for RamdaJS, too. Sweet. Awesome. i got to check that out now. Um, okay, sweet. Olivier, you are next on my screen. So I have two things today. Uh, the first one is a blog post from AngularJS uh, that I missed last week. Uh, on Angular 1 and Angular 2, uh, which will be able to coexist in the same application to help you uh, move your, your part of Angular 1 to Angular 2 in a, in a long time, and you don't have to rewrite your whole application. Uh, and this is really cool. <laughs> I'm really happy that they, they decided to do that. And um, the other one is uh, just that I'm looking for co-contributors on my uh, GitHub uh, uh, repositories uh, for Oscillazy Load and Angular Local Forage because um, I don't have uh, enough time to answer all the questions and fix all the bugs. Um, it will be uh, difficult for me to to let my baby go, but uh, I will have to share <laughs> the custody with uh, some people if, if people are interested to help me in this. Also, I will probably move to Angular 2 soon, so I won't be keeping them up to date. So yeah, if anyone is interested, just come and tell me. Sweet. And if that was too scratchy, your audio is still a little bit scratchy, Olivier, but um, in case anybody is listening <laughs> uh, and it was still a little too scratchy, Olivier picked Angular 1 and 2 coexistence uh, blog post, and that'll be in our, our links. And he's looking for co-contributors to OC Lazy Load and Angular Local Forage because he's moving to React. So no, just kidding. <laughs> hey. Oh. <laughs> no, because he's awesome, and you should help him with his libraries. Okay, so I am last um, in my screen, and uh, my first is a tip: um, write adapter wrappers for your dependencies. So if you have something that you use a lot in your um, in your app. Um, like, for example, I, I have a, a wrapper for even Angular Formly, actually. Um, so I'm an author of Angular Formly, but in my app, I have my own directive that simply uses Angular Formly, and that is really, really powerful. Um, and so I ha have a link to a video from uh, John Lindquist um, from his Pattern Craft series that he did a couple of years ago that's still totally relevant um, about the adapter pattern um, to teach you about why that's super awesome. So recommend that. Um, and then my pick is uh, MDN, and uh, that's the Mozilla Developer Network. It's a terrific place to go learn about web technologies. Um, so yeah, recommend checking that out. So great. That is 
um, all of our time and our um, yeah our time together. So I'm going to wrap us up with a couple final announcements. So um, next week's show, same time, same place, uh, just a week from now, um, on Angular Fundamentals with the Angular Air panel. Uh, so it's going to be a blast and a half. We're going to talk about some very valuable knowledge that you should have about Angular. Um, and um, yeah, remember to follow us on Twitter and Google Plus because um, you should do that um, to keep up with the latest stuff. So um, yeah, I guess uh, without any further ado, um, let's go ahead and say adieu. So uh, thank you very much, Nate and Chris, for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and uh, appreciate your work in making the world better with Angular UI Router. So thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, You are very welcome. Awesome. Uh, let's uh, just say goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Good night. Yeah. See you next week.